0: gonna start the recording um so i gave you three questions to look at last week um and the questions are why does paul give thanks to god for the ephesian christians what prayer request is mentioned in verse 17 and then verse 23 says that christ fills all things everywhere with himself and then what do you think that means and so i'm gonna tackle those tonight in some form or fashion you just kind of have to uh keep up with me and we're gonna go there at some point um But Kelly talked about it last week that um, we stand for the word of God because it's honoring, right? Um, When we stand for the national anthem and the Pledge of Allegiance, this is out of respect and honor. How much more then should we stand for the word of God? An example um, can be found in Nehemiah 8.5 where Ezra opens the book and the sight of all the people and it says, And all the people stood. Um, So that when they would open the book, they would stand to read the word. Um, So let's stand tonight. We'll start. We'll read some scripture and then we'll talk about tons and tons of things. Um, So Ephesians 1, 15 through 23 says this. Um, Before we read, uh, just a reminder, at the end I will say this is the word of the Lord. And then you guys will repeat back, thanks be to God. So... uh, Ephesians one fifteen through twenty three says: Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thinking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow. You might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident um, hope He has given to those He called His holy people, who are rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. So God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body, it is, um, it is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with Himself. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's. Uh, you guys can be seated. You don't understand anymore. <laughs> uh, unless you want to stand the whole time, you can. So, uh, okay. So, the purpose of the letter of Ephesians, right, is the reconciliation. Um, it's the reconciliation of ethnic groups into one unified people. I think Kelly alluded to this a little bit last week. Um, You see, unity is woven throughout all of Ephesians, right? And then there's, in chapter one, I love this. In chapter one, the first half, um, 11 times there are these statements of in him or through him, right? Him meaning in Christ, um, through Christ, um, in the opening paragraph. And so scholars call It all kinds of things like um, corporate election in the Messiah right the phrase tells the story that humanity's story and Israel's story come together in Christ right from the beginning of time and then for where we are now it comes together in Christ if we trust him Paul is saying that we are in him Jesus was the one who has saved uh, Jesus was the one who was saved from evil and death And in his death and resurrection, he was a victim of sin and death. He was vindicated through the resurrection out into life and new creation. And so for those who trust in him, they find themselves in him. His identity becomes our identity, right? His death becomes our death. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. And his exaltation to rule over heaven and earth becomes our true calling as the image of God. So let's dive in. Um, who here remembers, I think we talked about this in the intro, um, what is an apocalypse? Anybody have a guess? A revelation. A revelation. Yeah. Right? It is when the bond between heaven and earth becomes visible to you. It's, uh, the apocalypse in the letter of Ephesians involves a revelation of the reconciliation of all things as well as the enthronement of humans with the Messiah. And then, how can understanding these apocalypses as present realities change how you view life in the here and now? The unification of heaven and earth in the Messiah is God's ultimate purpose and plan. So to think apocalyptically is to think Christianly. To view this present moment in time in light of our ultimate reality. And in the ultimate reality, heaven and earth are one. So this is the apocalypse, the revelation that God gives to us. And I, I'm going to bring this up because the second half of tonight, we're going to dive into what I, uh, Paul's worldview. And I think it's so important and it's so cool to study because it gives us a glimpse as to why he would write the way that he would write, why he thought the way that he thought, what influenced him, right, other than Jesus Christ. But there's more... To the the ways that he wrote and the the ideas that he had, um, and so uh, what I love about Paul though is he loves to grace us with with long run-on sentences, right? Like the whole this it, where's the there's no punctuation really. I mean I think some Bibles will start putting stuff in, but when he would have given this book, it would have just been like this one. Just here we go. I'm gonna word vomit onto the page and we're gonna write it down, and so. Um, But in verse 15 he starts with a report, he says, I have heard of your faith and of your love for people everywhere. So Paul is in prison when he's writing this letter and yet has heard about the church of Ephesus, right? From reports from other people and and things and so, and he says, you know, I've heard of your strong faith in the Lord, Jesus, and your love for God's people everywhere. That's pretty straightforward. There's not a lot to dive in there, so we're going to move on. Verse 16, he does not cease to give thanks for them. Always praying, always praying, he says, I pray for you constantly. And I wonder sometimes what it would be to be like, a little like Paul, where we would remember those who should be, we should be praying for and for, to never cease. Right? Paul says he's never, he's constantly in prayer. Right? Always praying for the church in Ephesus. Always praying for the Christians in Ephesus. And then he goes on in verse 17. We're gonna, we'll dive deep in some of these. Some of these are pretty just kind of straightforward. So um, verse 17. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in the knowledge of God. People leaving behind and adopting the new. You see, what Paul prays here, Here for is the apocalyptic. He's praying for a new depth of what it means to live by the story and discover its meaning. What it is to have revelation of Christ. But he keeps praying, showing us that it's not a one time thing. This is very important. He shows us that we have to continue to ask for revelation. It's not a, okay, God, I want revelation. Boom, you're given revelation, and that's it. Right? It's a continual process. If you want God to reveal things in Scripture to you, when you come to Scripture, every time you ask Him, God, would you reveal something new to me? Right? It can't just be that, okay, I asked last week, but you have to ask every time. Paul says, asking God, the glorious Father, of the Lord, to give you spiritual wisdom. Right? Insight that you might grow in your knowledge of God. He goes on to verse 18. He says, So that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. His holy people. His holy people who are rich and in glorious inheritance. I love this. Paul, get get what Paul's doing here. Paul fully adopts the storyline of the exodus of the people of God, the Israelites. Um, the inheritance of those people was the promised land. So what Paul is doing is he's bringing in New Testament or Old Testament ideas in this verse. He's adopting the storyline of God's people giving the rich an inheritance, right? This inheritance. Well, in the Old Testament, in the Exodus, the people would, when they left, the promise was the promised land, right? Their inheritance was the promised land. And so Paul's combining that here. When they step into that place, they received the rich in glorious inheritance. So what he's doing is he's mapping it onto a new exodus, which I'm not going to talk about tonight because you're going to get into that in Ephesians 2. Um, and I don't want to skip ahead. Um, so, But that's what he's doing. He's, he's literally taking the old exodus, this inheritance, this promise that... that God gives to his people and puts it on to the new exodus, right? Which is the ex, um, for us, is coming out of the old man, the Adam, into Christ, right? Coming to now the promised place, the the good place, the great inheritance. Um, He talks about it in Galatians and in Romans. And in Galatians and Romans, he calls it the new creation. So the old exodus, right, they got the promised land. Um, For us, though, the new exodus is the new creation in Christ. To, to leave the old life behind and step into um, salvation. And then he goes on in verse 19. He says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the same mighty power. And then he goes on in verse 20. So I'm gonna do these two together. That raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor God's right hand in the heavenly realms. He prays that we would understand, right, that the, the church in Ephesus would understand the incredible greatness of God's power. And the power language is off the charts in the book of, in the book of Ephesians. Um, it's the, but you get the first mention of God's power right here in chapter 1. There is the power of God to bring about a new humanity and new creation. To take the dead and enslaved people and give them freedom and new life. So what power is Paul talking about? Right? What is the power that Paul is mentioning here? And I love it because Paul asks the... He, the text asks, you know, begs us to ask the question. This is the same mighty power. Well, he goes on to answer it. Right? Thank, thankful for that. Sometimes you read scripture and you're like, I have no idea what this means. It's not one of those times. Um, he goes on to say, the power is the resurrection of Christ. This power um, that brings, that makes dead people alive is the resurrection of Christ. But Paul points out two different dimensions. He points out, one, raised from the dead. In our English translation, the word, the words raised from the dead is actually plural. Um, I'm not going to go into all that. It gets kind of confusing. It got a little confusing for me. uh, But I thought it was a fun fact. So, um... And then dead, meaning the dead ones, right? That was the plural. It it actually didn't mean just the dead. It meant the dead ones. Dead people raised from the dead ones. Um, Maybe it gives a little stronger meaning. I don't know. And then there's um, the second dimension, which is seated. Which equals enthronement, right? He's seated on the throne. Where is Jesus enthroned? in the heavenly realms, right? I love this, Paul starts to bring in this idea that heaven is tangible, and yet the fullness of it is not here yet. We're gonna dive into this a little bit later when we talk about Paul's worldview. Um, And then in 21, now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Above all, this is where we start to understand Paul's worldview, just a little bit. I'm going to give you a little glimpse, and we're going to really dive into that tonight. Um, but above all is spatial language, right? It's spatial language. He's talking about space, um, not the way we think of space, but, the, you know, the in-between. Um, and then you have what they call time language, um, not just this age, but in the age to come. He that not only in this world, but in the world to come. He puts all things under the authority of Christ. So in verse 22, he goes on and says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ, and he has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. So this great resurrection power is placed placed Jesus above all things. It set Jesus as the head over all things, including his church. And so the idea of the church being the body of Christ is mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament, right? In Romans 12, verses 4 through 5, and, and, and 1 Corinthians 12, um, verses 12 through 27. It's an idea, let me repeat those, it's Romans twelve four through 5, um, and then 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. It's an idea Paul probably first encountered in Acts when Jesus referred to Paul's persecution of the church as persecuting Jesus himself. So if you have your Bibles, I want to turn somewhere real quick because this is interesting. Uh, This is very interesting to me um, that Jesus referred to Paul's persecution of the church as not only persecuting the church, but it's persecuting Jesus himself. And so in Acts 9, verse 4, I'm going to read this. If you have your Bibles, uh, feel free to turn. Acts 9, verse 4. This is the Damascus, right? This is the road to Damascus, and um, this is the uh, the conversion of Saul into Paul. Um, But notice Paul. Right, understand Paul. Before he was Paul, he was Saul. Right, a guy who would go around capture Christians, throw them in jail, beat them. You know, um, all of these things. He was a zealot in, in a sense. Right, he had zeal for the law, and yet didn't have the relationship with Christ. And so at this point, Paul has extremely persecuted the church. But I love the language Jesus uses. He says, "Saul, Saul." Why are you persecuting me? Right. He doesn't say Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting my church? Right. So he embodies that the church is in fact one with Christ, and so I just love that language. Just a little um, thing there, and so you have um, Paul and his, his transformation, and it, it's just interesting to me that it's not. He doesn't call out what Paul. Uh, is persecuting other Christians, but yet, that he's actually attacking Jesus. And that's why it's so important to understand that persecution, when it is not when someone persecutes us, for instance, it's, it's not about us, right? They're persecuting Christ, right? And in, in when Paul would go around, or Saul at the time, would go around and destroy the church, it wasn't about the church, it was about Jesus. Um, anyway, so, verse 23... The idea, um, and the church in, is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. The idea of fullness of him is probably connected to the manner in which Jesus fills the church with his presence and blessings. And then there's this quote um, that I, I think I put in your notes. From a guy named Mool, I don't know who this is, So, but I love this quote. He says, Yes, this here, this is here given as the final glory of the infinitely exalted Christ. Angels and archangels are subject to him, but believing men are joined to him with a union such that he and they, by this same messenger of his, are called elsewhere into oneness with Christ. And so all of Ephesians, the last part of Ephesians 1, and I know we didn't spend a whole lot of time here, mainly because I felt like it was really, really straightforward, and so I wanted to dive in something a little different tonight. Um, But all of this right here is this idea that we are one in Christ. As one body, we are under the ruling and the headship of Christ the Lord. Um, Any questions? I know that was super quick for Ephesians 1, the end there. So if you have any questions, I'm going to take you to a whole different thing tonight um, that I think is super important. Yeah. Yeah. Verse 15. Yes. First half. Yeah. 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 In verse 15, when you read Scripture, you get those... Words, um, sometimes at the beginning, and they connect halves of the Bible, right? They connect different parts. And so um, words like but, and some of those, those are your connecting sentences. And so, um, yeah, those are very important, though, and here's why. Because if you take only half of that verse and you forget the other part, you take something out of context, right? And so you have to have those joining words. And so really what Paul is doing here, though, is connecting the first half of to the second half of Ephesians 1 any other questions I know that was super quick for Ephesians 1 but as I was reading this I watched like five videos and everybody who talked literally was like ten minutes and that was their whole breakdown so I was like well I don't know how much more I could talk so uh, and these are guys who are like you know way up here so um, but what I did find interesting uh, was what happens in verse 21 um And this is where we're going to go the rest of the night. We get a glimpse into some more of who Paul is. We get a glimpse into what um, we would call Paul's worldview. And so we're going to head there, unless anyone's got any objections. But any more questions about those verses? Um, I feel like they're pretty straightforward. I don't really feel like there was a lot of extra... um... Anyway, so you're going to get some out of this, though, I think. So Paul's worldview... Um, in verse, I'm going to read verse 21 again. He says, Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. And then he says this. He says, Not only in this world, but also in the new world to come. And so we get some different language here um, that I'm going to call it this age and the age to come. This is Paul's worldview. It's the age and the age to come. And in verse 21, you have to understand that Paul would not have just been shaped. His, his views wouldn't have just been shaped by Christianity, right? The way that he wrote um, would have also been shaped by Greek philosophy and by pagan religion. All of this would have started to mold Paul into the way that he wrote. And think about this, into the way that he viewed things, right? And I love this because think about us for a second. You, we believe certain things right now that 20 years from now, you, you may not, right? Um, and so Paul was always wrestling, knowing that Christ was above, but it was the way that he described it to me that was so fascinating. And so he says, this age and the age to come. You see, Paul had an apocalypse on the road to Damascus where he began to understand that heaven and earth Are united in Jesus and on the surface that seems kind of basic but in verse 17 he prays that we would be given the same knowledge the same spirit of wisdom and so I think what I want to do tonight is define this present age in the age to come it's like saying that heaven is here and yet it's not right that we've gotten a glimpse of it but it's not to its completion yet and this was Paul's worldview and this, so this age, this age, we have evil and sin. We have slavery to powers, right? If you've been in Sunday morning, Anthony's been talking all about the slavery to powers, all about um, the devil and um, that he is the, the ruler of the world and, and not this world, anyway. And so um, and then you have violent humans. You have death. But then Paul would shift and say in the age to come, that the day of the Lord is what the prophets call it, right? This, the age to come is, they call it the day of the Lord. Um, it's a transition moment between this age and the next. And I love this because every negative element in this age is reversed in the age to come. So instead of evil and sin, what we have is justice and love. Instead of slavery to the power, you get Freedom. Instead of violence, there is shalom, or peace. And instead of death, you get eternal life. And so Paul wants to answer this question that when we're in Christ, we get this, but he would argue we don't get it to completion. And that's where I find it fascinating. And I I agree that... What we're getting is a glimpse, right? And I'll show you this in a little bit, as as even scripture, and I was kind of blown away. I feel like I had an apocalypse when I was reading Ephesians and learning more about Paul. And so, um, what happens when Paul encounters the risen Jesus? There's a complication in his understanding of the relationship between the ages. He starts to wrestle, right? As great philosophers would have done in his time start to wrestle with the cosmos. How was the world created? And all of these things. And in his mind, the resurrection is something that happened at the end of this age to transition us into the new creation, which we would all agree with, right? That Jesus died, and so that we now are in the new creation if we believe in him. He was convinced that the resurrection was a preview of the full transition between this age and the age to come. And I think this sometimes is where we get kind of hung up. Right. This is what Paul is saying is, yeah, Jesus has come back. And if you believe in him, you have eternal life. But we're not even close to completion yet. We're nowhere near what we will be when the age to come does come. When Jesus returns, there's a difference. And so Paul would um, wrestle with this. And so what you end up with is the two-stage process of the birth of the new creation right here, in the midst, uh, in the middle of the old one. So you get this, like, Paul saying, okay, now there's this new creation. There's something new for us in the midst of what he thought, you know, would have been, uh, you know, in the present age that he was in, right? In the age that we are in. And so scholars will use the language of inauguration." which I think is helpful, right? They will say that the day of the Lord in the new creation was inaugurated in the death and resurrection of Jesus and will be consummated, I love this, will be consummated when he returns. So it starts, it starts at Jesus' resurrection, but it will be finished when he comes back, right? Not that Jesus didn't already finish the work on the cross, but that yet, we still live in a fallen world that even though jesus has died we are not yet made completely whole right how do we know this because we're still sinners right and so paul would wrestle with this idea that yeah jesus did in fact come back right and he was here well for them he would come back he resurrected from the grave but yet Man still at that point wasn't completely transformed into what they will be when Jesus comes back a second time. So it's the now not yet language, which means that this uh, that his moment that this moment were in is post-resurrection, but it's pre-return of Jesus is a time where you can use the language of the not yet to describe the now, right? So what we're saying when we say not yet, or the kingdom of heaven is here and not yet, is meaning that it's it's post-Jesus, right? Um, or, uh, sorry, post-resurrection of Jesus, and yet it's the pre-return, right? Does all make sense? This is very, like, deep theological, so I'm hoping I'm, like, not... Cause I, when I studied this, honestly, I'm not sure I even knew what was going on. So I'm just kidding. Uh, but um, so, Paul's view is what the theologians call inaugurated eschatology. The stuff that you thought was only for the end has happened right here and now. Is what Paul is saying. Right? This is those things where like people study Revelation. And they start to be like, well, this already happened, and this already happened, and stuff. Like, yeah, what Paul is saying that a lot of things that were spoken have come to pass with Jesus' resurrection, and yet, not all of it's been completed, right? Because we do know that he comes back again, which would have been something kind of spectacular, right? That um, he would have gotten that understanding in that time. Because a lot of Jews, you have to understand a lot of Jewish people... We're waiting for this Messiah that would come and rule and reign right then and there, right? That would step into the rule, overthrow the Roman government. And so for Paul to start to think this way is is kind of miraculous because a lot of the Jewish people still would not have been thinking like this. So, um, for Paul, heaven is a reality that overlaps the earth. That God's kingdom is not is a non-material, is, uh, sorry, God's kingdom is not a non-material post-mortem destination, but is rather the sovereign rule of the creator over the entire created order. With death itself, that which corrupts and defaces the good creation as the last enemy to be destroyed. Right? Think about this. This is where, this where it starts to get a little complicated because we know that when Jesus died, he defeated death. And yet, what we know is we still die. And so Paul was wrestling with this. Like, okay, wait a second, though. Like, I just watched a good friend of mine die, and yet, we know that Jesus defeated death. Right? And so I don't know. For me, this is so fascinating because to have been where Paul was at, to have seen Jesus, to have seen him come back from the grave and know that He's gotten this revelation that, yes, Jesus, in fact, defeated death, but people were still dying. And so, in Paul's mind, he's wrestling with, okay, well, what do we do with that, right? What do we do with the fact that death is still happening, but yet, Jesus defeated death. He overcame the grave. And so, this, um, this heaven is a reality that overlaps the earth, right, God's kingdom is this non-material post-mortem destination. Uh, is not this, but this is where Paul starts to define his, his, his worldview. It's the sovereign rule of the creator. He starts to see instead of heaven um, being this far off place, he starts to understand that what heaven is, and this is why people say that heaven is here and yet it's not, is because rather um, it's a sovereign rule of the creator over the entire created order with death itself being the last kind of enemy, right? That when Jesus does come back and takes us up, you don't die again, right? There is no more death. Um, So, anyway, in other words, the final kingdom, the final kingdom of God is the whole world, rescued from corruption and decay and living under the sovereign rule of God. It's exercised through the Messiah's people. And so the final kingdom of God, right, is the whole world that's rescued from corruption and decay. And living under the sovereign rule of God. Paul was just a very fascinating person. And his, his, his worldview, the way he wrestled with um, what he was seeing and um Think about this for a second. Not only was he wrestling with what he was seeing, what happened with Jesus, but he was also, uh, Paul would have been a uh, somebody who was smart, and so he probably would have sat in meetings with some of these great thinkers and heard the different arguments for different uh, things, for the pagan religion, for the Roman um, society, and wrestled with that. And yet, I love it because he gets a revelation to understand truth um, and what's really happening. And so, um, what Paul wants us to see is that in this moment, in the overlap of the ages, which is where we are right now, right? Jesus has died and rose from the grave. We have accepted him, uh, right? So we are under his rule and reign, under his headship. And yet... We are not made complete, right? And what I mean by that is, yes, we have the sanctification. We've been um, imputed righteousness because not of what we've done. It's what if Jesus has done, right? And so when Jesus does look at us, um, he or when God looks at us, he sees Jesus instead of us, right? And so all of these things. But what Paul wants us to see is that in the moment, uh, in this moment of the overlap of ages, Jesus is reigning as King. And that. The divine power um, was just a foretaste um, of the divine power that will be demonstrated when He remakes all of creation. Right. So what we're seeing now is just a glimpse of what is to come. Right. That gives us hope. Right. Because when what what we see today is not pretty, uh, but we get this glimpse. Uh, of heaven in the midst of what's happening in our own lives and paul saw that he understood that this age wasn't yet complete any questions so far There's, i'm going through like a lot of just funky stuff so um no questions okay i got some no, i'm just kidding Uh, Okay. Paul's worldview. His worldview um, answers these five questions. The first one is, who are we? Right? And I love this, because this goes back to to Ephesians 1. It goes back to Romans and, and Galatians. Because what Paul is saying is that we are the one people. Jew and Gentile, right? He crosses that bridge for us. He says that, right, there's no... Jews, there's no Gentiles. We are all one in Christ. It's the same language you see in the second half of Ephesians. And especially in the first half, that we are one in Him. Of the one God, we are the Messiah's people. Bearing the mark of faith, we are the church. Unity. So, one of the basic things that Paul would have believed was the unification of the church. It's just fascinating. Because when Paul was... um, going after the church, he would have seen just how unified they were, right? And so I, I think Paul gets some of his writing from actually the time of when he was Saul. Like, he saw what the church was doing and how they were unified. Um, and then when he stepped into it, when he gets the, the, the road to Damascus, the revelation, then he realizes, man, the church is unified under the headship of Christ, now we understood why they believed what they believed; that it wasn't just law anymore to Paul. It was relationship. So, who are we? Where are we? Where are we today? Like where we live in God's world, where Jesus, the Messiah, has begun His reign. Right? He has begun His reign. His reign is not finished. We know that because in Revelation he comes back and he he finally casts. The devil, the enemy, down one last time. The new heavens and the new earth are created. um, And then we rule and reign with the Messiah in the sense that we worship him. uh, We're back in our rightful place where it all begun, right? Not necessarily we're not going to be back in Eden, but the idea of Eden, right? That we get to walk in God's presence once again. So when we say the kingdom is here and it's not yet, it's because we aren't, we're not finished yet. There's still refining that's done, um, and yet we know that we have new life because we are in Christ okay, so then what's wrong what's he's, He wanted to ask the question what is wrong with the world and what's wrong is there's sin, death, idolatry, and injustice that have marred god's good world that's what's wrong, and Paul wanted to to, to make it known that, especially if you read some of his stuff, he calls out this stuff. I actually um, had a conversation with Pastor Tom recently about um, a verse that I was just kind of like, hey, you know what? Let me just pull it up because this this is, um, let me see if I can even find it first. Um, 1 Corinthians 5. And Paul talks about um, casting, he literally talks about casting a person out of the church. And I sat there and I read that again and I said, man. But this speaks to some of Paul's worldview. He, he saw what was wrong and said it does not belong in the body of Christ. It doesn't belong in the church. And so he came down hard. Um, anyway, that was just extra. I don't know why that was in there. but So that's what's wrong right? And then he he said, what's the solution then? The solution for Paul was that prayer and the Spirit and the resurrection are the way forward. That those things are are non-negotiable, right? That we have to be in prayer. That we need the Holy Spirit and that all of our faith hinges on the resurrection of Christ. That without the resurrection, we're sitting here talking about something that doesn't even matter. Right, I don't even know why we're here. We're wasting an hour of our lives. But, but what Paul's saying is, it's because of that resurrection that we are who we are in Christ. And then, what time is it? He wanted to answer, "What time is it?" And this is where he talks about the overlapping again of ages. And I know you all are wondering how I got all this out of verse twenty-one. I'm not really sure, but uh, it's there. So just you take twenty-one and you blow it up, um, and in there is all of this. So we live in an overlap of ages, right? The kingdom has already come, but the kingdom is, has not yet come. the already and the not yet, that God's future is here, and it has come, but it has not come at the same time. So how do we talk about this? So I want to go to a few different Bible verses and show you exactly what Paul is meaning. So Romans 8:15 and then we're going to jump to Romans 8:23. This is where you start to get the the language, right? So Romans 8:15 says this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And then you go down to verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Okay, so if you, like the first glance, you're probably not even thinking anything about this. But he talks about two different things here. In verse 15, he. He literally says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. You've received the spirit of adoption. But yet in 23, he says, you eagerly, uh, as we wait eagerly for the adoption. And so it's the already adopted into the kingdom of heaven, but not yet. I'm going to keep going because it, it'll make maybe more sense in my head in a second. <laughs> uh... So we'll go back to um, Ephesians 1.7. And then Ephesians Mm 4.30. Ephesians 1.7 says this. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And then Ephesians 4.30 to something sort of like it. it. says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Right? It's the, you're already redeemed in Christ, but the day of full redemption is still coming. Is this all making sense? Like, I'm just, just make sure I want to, like, explain this the best that I can because I used to struggle with this idea of the kingdom of heaven is here and it's still not fully here. And so, okay, then you have, I'm not going to go through all of these Bible verses tonight, but you, you can look them up later, but you have the already sanctified and then, but not quite yet, our full sanctification because that still happens when Jesus comes back. Uh, pretty much what he is saying is that man, right now, in his in its current state, when we believe in Christ, is made, is one with Christ. And yet our bodies and we still sin because we are not complete so what he's saying is we won't be complete until the day of the lord until jesus returns a second time or third time however you want to theologically put it we won't get into all that tonight but when he returns again man is then made full right man is then like there's no more pain there's no more all of these things, right? No more death. All of it is made complete. So, we have what we have as a theological tension. By faith in Christ, all of our these spiritual blessings are ours already. Right? When we believe in Christ, Paul alludes to it, when you're in Christ, you have all of these things already. But this is how I can best describe it. The full enjoyment of these blessings are not yet ours, right? So we we are in Christ, and so we experience the blessings, right, that we are saved um, and all of these things. And yet, you, I always ask the question, will we still sin? we still make all these mistakes? It's because we're not completed yet. This is Paul's worldview, right? That he would have understood that man, uh, that when Jesus came the first time, we become in him, we believe in him, and yet he's coming back one more time to complete what he started. Right? That the enemy will finally be thrown into the to the pits of hell and and there's nothing but pure joy in Christ that we are worshiping him 24/7. Um It's this is the life of faith. Uh, I love this. So Hebrews 11.1, 1, This can sum it all up. All the Paul's worldview is summed up in Hebrews eleven one. Um, which says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So in the future, in the conviction of things not seen in the present. So the things that we hoped for, right? Like when I wake up, I hope that none of, nobody I know gets hurt. Those things that we hope for is complete in Christ, right? But it's not fully here yet. God hasn't come back and established, or Jesus hasn't come back and established the reign in which we are made completely whole where there is no more violence, there's no more pain, there's no more suffering, right? That's still to come. So Paul's worldview is it fascinating. It's that Jesus did a work, started a work, and yet will come back to complete it, right? We understand that he beat death. Paul understood that he beat death. But then Paul would say, okay, there's still the final battle that is yet to happen. Then that day comes. Then we're back where we rightfully belong. So Paul wraps it all around in this idea that the Garden of Eden, where it started, this perfect place, right, where man walked among God until they fell. And then, so really what Paul does is he completes the whole story for us and everything. And it all hinges on this one thing that repeated over and over again in his books, in Christ. In him, right? And if if we miss that part in all of Paul's writings, then we miss what he's trying to say. That in Christ everything is made full, in Christ everything is made complete. That all makes sense. Yeah. No, no. We have a responsibility still. Right, but what I'm, but I think, like, um, in Romans, what and what Paul expresses in a lot of places is that yes, we've been saved, and now we're in Christ, and you know, like, we're death ruled. Now we have the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. and this kingdom of heaven on earth is beginning now, and we are being made perfect. We are yes. Right. Glory until uh, we'll never be made perfect here on earth. Exactly. But we get to participate. We have this, like, we get to apprentice to Jesus. Right. In having our spirits formed into the likeness of Christ. Mm-hmm. And part of that is the now part. Right. Like, we get to experience life. Yeah. Right, because we are in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Right, but because of Christ's resurrection, that allows us to have a revelation in our own lives. We are unveiled, we see Jesus Mm -hmm. for who He is, and that is a
1: process that is all over
0: the path as we live our lives and try and mirror. Yes. Yeah, the kingdom, what it, what it is saying is that the kingdom is here, it has begun, but what I'm saying is at the very end, it's it's brought to its completion. That's what it is to be in the here and not yet, right, that yes, um, we have been made new, that we get to live the life of blessings, but in yet what we want to see, what the Jews wanted to see, was the world completely changed, right? And we will not see that part until the second coming, right? Until Jesus comes and makes it that way. And so we live in this this tension um, that all these spiritual blessings, yes, are already ours. um, But the full enjoyment, right? And what I mean by the full enjoyment, the fact that there will no longer be pain, the fact that there will no longer be um, hurt, that all of that stuff the full enjoyment of being in his presence where, where there is no block is made complete when jesus returns right cuz right now there's still a block right we could, we have access to the father right but i can't be in his presence in the sense of his manifest presence because he is not in the presence of sin right now made whole by jesus christ yes but <laughs> what i'm saying is what what adam and eve had that becomes again when Jesus comes back. We don't quite have that same, and by that I mean is, I'm not walking right now in the heavenly realm with no pain, no, that Adam and Eve did. That's what I'm, That's what, and that's what Paul was trying to get at, right? With his worldview that, yes, we're getting all of the blessings. The fact that we're in Christ is beautiful. He, but he was saying is there's, there's more to come. The glory at the end when pain and suffering and everything is defeated, and justice is rightfully served, that was the to come. The to come, right? So it's not that we're not sanctified and made holy now. There's Those things are happening as we walk with Jesus. But that end, that end where uh, he wipes away every tear, where there is no more pain, there's no suffering, that was... That is the yet-to-come part, and that is what Paul um, wrestled with, was, you know, the same thing the Jews would have wrestled with. Um, It's funny, the disciples and stuff clearly would have thought, any day now Jesus is coming back. Any day he's coming back. I think the same thing, right? Like, any day now he's coming back, and when he comes back, all of this is gone in a sense of not everybody has gone, but where it's made to, to complete, where he wants it to be, where there is nothing uh, that hurts us any longer. There is no uh, physical death, right? Um, and so, yeah. Um, so I want to point this out. A worldview is not what you are looking at, but it's what you're looking through. A worldview shapes how you interpret, evaluate, and draw a conclusion based on what you see. And so for Paul, his worldview was thoroughly Jewish-formed in light of Jesus the Messiah who has come to save the world. Both Jewish and Gentile, this worldview shapes Paul's theology, what he starts to see. Um, And it all starts here with the in-Christ language, that when we are in Christ, we're made new. We are a new creation not waiting for the end, right? Um, I'm not going to say we usher in the end either, because I don't think that's theologically correct. Uh, but given a mission until the end comes, right? To go on mission, to go out and make disciples, to go out and spread the good news, that's it. Right? You know, that's the crazy thing is Jesus really only calls us uh, to two things. One, to himself, and then two, to go out and share himself with other people. Um, And so, yeah, Paul's worldview. um, This here and not yet. uh, Which theologians will literally probably argue until we all die. Uh, It's just like, it's just something that if you seriously get two theologians in the room, I guarantee this topic comes up. It's either this or predestination. And that's it. So, any questions about Ephesians 1? Uh, What you really need to get from all this is Paul would say, in Christ, we are unified. In Christ, we are unified. Um, Ephesians 1 can be summed up with literally, I think, those words. In Christ or in Him, we are made new, we are unified. So, any other questions? All right.